1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we try to bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. Today, I have a slightly different show. We absolutely are going to be talking about breastfeeding and pregnancy, but from a little bit different standpoint than what we often do. This time, I'm going to talk with you, or actually, I'm going to listen with you to our guest, tell us about the experience of anorexia, pregnancy, and breastfeeding. And my guest today is Jackie Novak. Jackie, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, it's really great to have you here. I have to say that when somebody on my team suggested that we ask you on for the show, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that might be okay. And <laughs> I, I was less, I was kind of like, and so how am I actually going to really hitch this up with some real hands-on help here? And of course, the more that I read up on it, and the more that I sort of talked with you a little bit, talked with some others a little bit, and I realized, wow, we have so much to gain from what Jackie has to share. I think that in this show, people will be able to, first of all, recognize some classic signs and symptoms of anorexia. I'm a, a registered nurse. I have been for more than 30 years, and I think there's a few cases that have um, I've been unaware of, and also that I think it will really help people to understand how pregnancy and breastfeeding can be a real game changer, and at, towards the end of the show, I'd like to talk with you, uh, and I know that you will be very helpful in relating how people can help their college roommate, their daughter, their next door neighbor, their patient, whoever it is, to actually get help. Because I could certainly see in your story where getting help was was crucial. So, Jackie, let's start from the very beginning here. First of all, um, tell me this. You did not just wake up one morning and say, oh, gee, you know, I have a bump on my nose or I have a A word on my knee. No. Anorexia, I'm sure, (laughs) came on in in some kind of maybe uh, way that maybe you didn't really expect or when you expected or gradually.
2: Tell us a little bit about how that happened. Uh, Sure. Well, first, I just want to say that every case is clearly different, so I can only talk about my own experience. Sure. But what happened with me is I was on a medication all throughout my And one of the side effects of this medication was weight gain. So during my childhood and early adolescence, I was very heavy. And I didn't really care. Um, I was a happy kid. I was involved in everything and had friends. And then when I was 17 in my senior year, I was weaned off of this medicine. And therefore, through no action on my part, I began to lose weight. And I got incredibly positive feedback from family, from friends, from teachers, from everybody. Oh, you look so great, Jackie. Exactly. Oh, my goodness, you're getting so thin. What are you doing? You look great. You look wonderful. And that made me think, oh, maybe this is something I should actually focus on and pay attention to. So I started watching what I was eating, and it started out healthy. But then slowly it sort of transitioned to become unhealthy. And when I went to college, I had the goal of not gaining the freshman fifteen. I didn't really care about my classes. I didn't care about making friends. I cared about not gaining the freshman 15. And throughout my freshman year, it became sort of a competition with myself to eat less today than I did yesterday. And if I was able to get through the day eating less than I did the day before, I felt great. great. And I would feel wonderful when I went to a group dinner with my friends and they were eating cake and I had the strength and the willpower to resist it. And I honestly saw myself as the strong one and them as the weak ones because here I was able to resist what they couldn't. And I know now that that's backwards thinking. Sure, sure. But then it was real. It was as real as real can
1: be. Jackie, I'm thinking about the socialness, if you will, of being a freshman. I don't know if I gained the freshman 15, but I definitely gained at least 10 when I was a freshman. Uh, You know, it was have another book, have another test, have another cookie. And before I knew it, uh, I I had a friend who said, a cookie, a page. So I'm trying to figure out, you clearly were not doing the piece of cake or the cookie a page. Did friends kind of realize that you were acting not like them? Did
2: they say anything? So when I would come home for break, people who hadn't seen me in a while would comment first that I looked great. And then as time went on that I was getting too thin. Mm. But I heard that all as compliments. I heard that as they were jealous that here I was doing something that they were unable to do. Because, of course, everybody says, oh, I shouldn't have had that cookie and here I am going, yes, you shouldn't have, and I didn't. And it made me feel very good in a very warped way.
1: Yes. Um, you could see yourself as having succeeded in a major way. Exactly. Jackie, exactly. S- give us a sort of a visual here. Were you a size 16, a size 10, a size 4? What would you go from what to what here?
2: Well, I tried not to focus on the numbers very much, but to give context, I started at close to one hundred and sixty pounds when I was in high school, and I'm five foot five. Okay. And when I started treatment, my sophomore year of college, I was ninety eight pounds.
1: Oh, wow, that's
2: a lot. And then there were many years where I didn't know what my weight was because I wasn't allowed to. Yes. so but that's yes. that's for the future.
1: Wow. Uh, yeah, because I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what percentage that is, but it's really a lot. So how did you feel about your body when you were 98 pounds? Did you see yourself as uh, slender
2: and gorgeous or, or what? No. No. Okay. No. I still saw myself as a heavy person. I knew I was thinner than I was before because I knew my clothes were getting big and I had to buy new clothes and... Um, but I didn't see myself as thin, and it really wasn't even about that. It was more about the day-to-day, what do I put in my mouth, as opposed to what does my body look like.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, a gal who used to work for me, I always thought was, you know, really very, she was maybe a size 8 or so, but she said that she had lost a lot of weight, and she told me about how she always, when she saw herself in her head... She always saw herself as fat. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that too. at ninety eight pounds, you saw yourself as fat. Yes, wow, yeah. and And how did you finally say, "Whoa, maybe i maybe this isn't right. Maybe
2: I need to get some help." Yeah, so what happened for me is people had been saying for months that I looked so thin that I wasn't eating enough. I worked as a camp counselor over the summer and the camp director went to my parents and said Jackie is in trouble, you know, you need to do something and they spoke to me and I was convinced I was fine because if I was starving myself, I figured I would feel hungry and I didn't feel hungry because I had trained myself over the months not to uh, feel hungry. Okay. So, I was fine. What are you all talking about? And then my sophomore year a junior at that point who I didn't really know, but I knew she was sick. Everybody knew she was sick. And she had been in the hospital the previous year, showed up at my dorm unannounced, walked in, sat me down and didn't say you're getting so thin. She didn't say you were eating and you're not eating enough. She said, I know how you feel. I've been there. I said, what do you mean? And she began to read my mind. She told me how I was thinking. She told me The pride I felt in getting through today, eating less than I did yesterday. She told me the sense of victory that came from resisting the cake that my friends were eating. She told me the sense of shame and guilt I felt when I did have to give in and eat lunch if I was hungry during the day. And so I was watching her and it kind of came as a shock to my system that how does she know what I'm thinking? Mm. And then I realized, well, she was sick. Everybody knew she was sick. I knew she was sick. And if she's telling me that she was having these thoughts and she was doing these behaviors, uh-oh. <laughs> and that was my personal epiphany in my wake-up call. And I'm so grateful to her that she came to me that day and grateful to myself that I listened. I finally listened because it had been months that people were telling me I was not okay. Yeah. And I didn't hear it. I didn't understand it, and I didn't hear it. It took somebody... Not focusing on my body, not focusing on what I was eating, but focusing on what I was thinking.
1: Thinking and feeling. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I'm thinking. I totally blew it with a gal that I didn't, I I, I was a freshman. I didn't, I, I don't even know if anorexia was in my vocabulary at that time. But we all knew that this girl had the strangest eating habits and I remember sometimes saying to her something like, oh, you don't eat anything. Oh, you were looking so, uh, this gal looked like a skeleton. Mm-hmm. And I, I realize now that everything that I said to her probably only reinforced her behaviors. Am I right?
2: Um, well, everybody is different and don't feel guilty because you didn't know. <laughs> no, I but, don't. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sense of pride that you're getting too thin. Yes, I am. And that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. And you know, you're you're not eating enough. Well, I I'm, I'm eating less than I did yesterday and that's my goal. So it's a very backwards backwards way of thinking. And when you're sick, telling someone you look healthy is actually a terrible thing to hear. Okay. Because you don't interpret it right. Sure. sure. When I was in that mentality, healthy meant fat. So, wow. when I started when I started treatment and I started getting better and, and putting weight back on as I should be to be a healthy person, if I ever heard you look so healthy now, that would send me into a tizzy. Yeah, Jackie, um, were you afraid of getting help? Yes and no. I didn't know what help meant. I had no exposure prior to this with mental illness or eating disorders or anything. And all you know, all we knew is that people with eating disorders happen to people from troubled families and troubled backgrounds and people who are messed up and. I had a wonderful family. I had a wonderful mother. I wasn't messed up. This shouldn't be happening to me. And, you know, these are those things that happen to other people, not me. Sure. Um, And then I didn't know what treatment meant. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But the one thing that this person who came to my room and said, I know how you feel I've been there, also did, that was wonderful, is she gave me a phone number right then and there and said, here's the hospital where I went to. This is the phone number, call it. Call it now while I'm sitting here. Really? Oh yeah. She was amazing. And she got me to not only acknowledge that I had a problem, but to take action right away before I could convince myself otherwise. Um, and that, that was, was amazing. Oh. She was yeah. amazing.
1: Wow. Hey, everybody, uh, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. When we come back, I'm going to ask Jackie to tell us a little bit about how, in in this anorexic state, she had trouble, of course, conceiving. And so I'm going to ask her to talk to us a little bit about getting in that program, getting some help, and being able to move on. We'll be right back after this short break.
0: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try and she can help you too. evidence for your practice starts here visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894 new angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels feel the difference soft absorbent and breathable Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. You're
0: listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed where we bust the myths and clarify the facts every week. I'm here today with my special guest, Jackie Novat. Jackie, before the break, you were t- I was really stunned when you said that this woman that you didn't know very well simply appeared in your dorm, handed you a phone number, and say, here, call it while I'm sitting here. It's kind of like, whoops, you couldn't skeeve her out of that one. So, d- did that immediately... P- Did that phone call put you in touch with the right program, or did you have to go down a few rabbit holes before you found the right program, or how did that work?
2: Um, So that was the program that she was getting treatment in herself, and of course this happened on a Friday, and there was nothing anybody can do until the following Monday, so there was a bit of a delay, and then there was the fight with the insurance company, uh, because The mental health department says, oh, but this is an eating issue. It's a physical thing. So the physical health people should cover it. And the physical health people said, it's an eating disorder. It's a mental thing. The mental health people should cover it. So going back and forth with the insurance company took several days. Meanwhile, I'm in a panic because I now know something's wrong. And I'm feeling isolated, alone, and terrified that I don't know what to do about it. And... So finally, I with my parents' help and support, and my then boyfriend, now husband's help and support, we got me into the same program that this friend was in, which I was incredibly lucky. Happened to be a block and a half away from my university.
1: Oh, fabulous!
2: So it was literally across the street. I could walk there, and it was one of the top eating disorder programs in the country, and it was wonderful. Um, It was terrifying. It was very scary. And I remember I will never forget walking in and seeing all of these people who looked like skeletons next who looked like skeletons to me and I said, "Well, what am I doing here? I don't look like that." And only years later looking back at photos of myself I realized I did. I did. Yeah. But I certainly didn't see it at the time. And there were women of all ages from middle school through in their 60s and 70s. Oh. And there were a couple of guys. Um. So it is not a female-only thing. It is not a young person's thing. It can happen to anybody at any age.
1: Let me interrupt, though, to tell our audience, actually, most cases are adolescents and most cases are women. So I'm guessing that although there was a, a big age range, probably mm-hmm. most of them were youngish women, more or less your age. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But well, we had... I'm trying yeah. to imagine, imagine just walking myself into that clinic. I'm, you know, mentally like trying to visualize this as you talk about it. And I'm wondering, uh, were you frightened? Did you want to just walk back out the door and say, no, thanks? I was terrified. Uh-huh. Um,
2: but there were staff there who were used to working with people who were terrified, people who okay. were in a way reluctant. Okay. And in giving the social workers and the therapists my story at the intake and having them acknowledge, well, yes, if you're thinking that way, that then you belong here. Ah. was sort of validating and confirming that, yes, I do have a problem. No, I'm not crazy. Yes, I have a problem. Yes, I'm in the right place. So Mm -hmm. as scary as it was, that was also comforting for them to say, yes, You know, from what you're telling me, you do fit here. This is where you need to be.
1: Once you got some of that affirmation that, yes, you're in the right place, then what was the scariest part that happened next?
2: So... The first time I was hospitalized, it was really focused on food and getting me to eat normally, like a human being again. Uh And I remember, so the way the program worked is we ate meals together, three meals a day, and we had a structured meal plan where for breakfast, there was a given, a certain protocol. You kind of had to fill in the blanks. So you got the right number of starches, the right number of proteins, the right number of fats, et cetera, fruits and vegetables for every meal. And what you t- you can choose from the menu to fill in those blanks. But you had to fill in those blanks and get it approved every day for the next day. Okay. And I remember getting my first tray at the first meal there. And I was only supposed to eat 25% of what they gave me the first day. Because you slowly wean up to eating 100. Oh, okay, okay. And I still remember even that 25% seemed ridiculous to me. And it was a perfectly normal lunch. But it seemed like they wanted me to eat the entire buffet at a casino in Atlantic City. I Jenny,
1: mean. Uh, what what would happen if you just walked away and
2: didn't eat anything? So. Is there a consequence? It, yeah. So in the program, there was outside time for an hour or so a day. And if you didn't fulfill your goals, your nutritional goals, you weren't able to go outside. Oh, Okay. And if you didn't fulfill your nutritional goals, you had to have a boost or ensure, which is like a protein shake
1: yeah,
2: uh-huh. in lieu of the meal. Um, there were people in the program who started off a bit sicker than I, were, I was, and they couldn't handle even the 25% to start. So they chose to have a nasogastric tube that oh. was giving them nutrients through the, a tube in their nose So that they could start eating less and slowly they would ramp up the food intake and ramp down the nutrients from the tube. All right, I got to tell
1: you that as a nurse who has put down nasogastric tubes, I cannot imagine anybody choosing to have that rather than Mm -hmm. putting food in their mouth. Oh my word, I'm just, I'm, oh. Oh my. So what parts of the program did you like?
2: Well, the program structured around forming goals, and one of the things we learned was how to form uh, achievable goals. So, to be happy is not an achievable goal, you can't right. put that on a list and check it off. Right, right. And but to write in my journal, to call a friend and ask for support, to call a friend I upset yesterday and apologize, these are all achievable goals. Yeah. So, we had nutritional goals, which involved either eating whatever percentage of your meal you were up to at that point, or if there was something risky. So for example, one day, my goal was to eat an Oreo cookie for the first time in five years. And I remember how terrified I was of that simple Oreo cookie. And that was my goal that day. And I had to work up to it and get the support I needed to do it. Um, and looking back on it now, I realize how ridiculous that sounds. But that you might as well have asked me to climb Mount Everest. Um, so we had nutritional goals, we had psychological goals, and that could be something like write in your journal, um, meet with your therapist, things like that. And then we had social goals because part of eating disorders is isolation, and you hide your symptoms, you hide your yes, behaviors.
1: Yes.
2: So yes. socialization is to you know call my mom, call a friend, eat lunch with person X who's in the unit with me you know do something social and those were the three goals and for many years after I left the program I continued every day to make my goals and it gave you a sense of accomplishment and it gave you a sense of direction for each day is what am I going to do today
1: Oh yeah, I can tell you that I actually before I went to bed last night, one of my goals for today was to write my interview with Jackie, do my interview with Jackie, <laughs> you know, set, set up my microphone, etc. because it gives me a great sense of accomplishment. So, Jackie, I got to tell you, the thought of eating an Oreo cookie just totally does not appeal to me at all because I really don't like our Oreo. <laughs> cookies. So, so tell me this, did how was the food? Like 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 a burger or a, a I don't know pasta or whatever. How was the real food?
2: Um, so it was it was fine. It was typical hospital food, but <laughs> it, that didn't that, really matter. Okay, what what mattered was so. I mean, for breakfast you would have cereal or oatmeal or a bagel or an egg or yogurt, things like that. Cottage cheese, okay, and milk. For lunch, we, the protocol was a sandwich. And then depending on your nutritional needs, there was there's always a vegetable and a sandwich. Okay. And then depending on your needs, there were different plans that you either you added or subtracted based on what your body needed. So the doctors and the nutritionists would work with you to tell you what your plan was. And you just had to fill in the blanks.
1: Mm-hmm. I and, love this. This is structure. You have choices within the structure. Totally. Yes.
2: Totally. But then every day there was a quote-unquote risk meal. So, for example, on Sundays, I still remember, breakfast either had to include pancakes or a blueberry muffin. And on Tuesdays, lunch had to be either a ham sandwich or peanut butter and jelly, because those are both kind of scary foods to somebody who's watching fat intake.
1: Oh, I see.
2: And so to prove to you that you can venture out of your comfort zone and it will be okay, you had to, every day had a different risk involved. And so to get through, to get over that barrier. And then if there was, so for example, when I was first starting, I needed to have either chips or pretzels with my lunch. That was part of my plan. And I hadn't eaten chips or pretzels in years. Years. So having a snack bag was something that was forbidden in my head for so long. It was very scary for me. So for the first week or so, I would take the chips, I would dump them on my plate, and then I would throw the bag on the floor under my chair to get it out of my sight, out of my mind, because I don't want to be associated with it.
1: Oh, because that's just so bad.
2: Yes. And then after a couple of days, the nurses said, okay, you know, we see what you're doing. Tomorrow, your goal is to keep that bag off the table. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. And that, that was hard. Yes. That was very hard because I, it it, it was scary to me. Yes,
1: because somehow you associated that with something bad. So I was failing, yeah. About how long was it from the time that you think you might have started developing some symptoms of anorexia until the time you actually got some help?
2: Uh, For me, it was about two years, which isn't that long. I mean, there are many people who are sick for much longer.
1: Yeah, but I got to tell you that. I'm very lucky. Yeah, yeah, you are because um, uh, I I want everybody to know that anorexia is the number one uh, killer, if you will, of people with mental disease. So mm-hmm. this is pretty serious stuff. And before we go to the next segment, Jackie, somewhere in there, you mentioned that your boyfriend, now husband, uh, yes. was it was it ever dawning on you in your head that maybe if you had such poor nutrition and you didn't have periods that maybe you would never be able to conceive, was that thing floating around your head at all?
2: That was nowhere in my radar. Um, okay. the, the whole idea of infertility was not even something I thought about because all you hear in high school is you sneeze wrong in the back of a car and you get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, the fact that it might not work when you wanted it to wasn't even on my radar screen.
1: Yes, understood. Well, and here's the thing, too, is that we certainly know statistically that infertility is a huge problem with people who have, have had um, battles with anorexia when we come back we're going to ask Jackie to tell us a little bit about some of her struggles realizing that this is a, a problem and luckily she got on the other side of it but don't go away we'll be right back after this short break
3: do
0: you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso Call Marie today at 703-787-9894
3: to find an option that works
0: for your staff.
3: Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Bianchuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with my guest, Jacqueline Novat, and she's talking with us about her struggles with realizing that she was an anorexic, getting some help, getting into a treatment. And in this segment, we're going to talk about her pregnancy and breastfeeding experience. Jackie, you talked to us a little bit about that program, and you did mention some scary things some things that were actually not too bad, maybe even a few things you might have almost liked. What was the number one scariest thing about it, though? You didn't, really, um, you didn't really hit me over the head with what really just freaked you out.
2: So it's actually wonderful that you just introduced me the way you did. You said Jacqueline Novak, who was an anorexic. <laughs> and that is one of the biggest pet peeves I have and one of the main things I learned in this program is that I am not an anorexic. I am a person who has struggled with anorexia. And there's a big difference there. The disease and the the condition does not define who I am as a person anymore. For many years it did. And I didn't realize how much of my self-image and self-identity came from my eating disorder. And one of the scariest parts of treatment for me was losing that. Mm. So without this, who am I? Ah. And all of a sudden I had to... Focus on other parts of my identity, other parts of my skill sets, and who am I without this? And I found my friends were an incredible support here, And I actually had to ask my friends what were as part of this treatment, what are things that you like about me that don't have to do with my body, that don't have to do with eating? And I still have that list. Wow. And I had a friend make a sign. Totally unprompted, but she made it after a conversation we had. And it says, my friends like me because I'm me. And that hung by my bed for a good 10 years. Wow. Um, so, So separating your identity from the eating disorder was a really scary thing to do. And especially when you don't realize how much of your identity is wrapped up in Wrapped it. around in that. Yeah. Exactly.
1: You know, I'm thinking about a woman who has lost her husband or she's gotten a divorce from her husband or whatever, and she spent 53 years as Mrs. Joe Blow, and exactly. now she's just Jackie or whoever. And so she really has to get another... I can tell you that I have made this statement. To, I see some of my friends retiring from nursing, and they... Uh, Give up their nursing license. And I have said very resolutely, I will never give up my nursing license. I will, in my last nine breaths, I will be a <laughs> registered nurse. Now, this is who I am. And so we do tend to center our identities around uh, what we look like or who we're married to or what our profession is. And when we lose that, then we kind of feel like we've lost a little part of ourselves. Luckily, though, Jackie, you also recognized that you needed to be more than just yourself. You needed to be a wife, you needed to have a family, you needed to be uh, bigger than, b- no pun intended, uh, <laughs> than, uh, than what you, you uh, uh, were before. And so I know th- that you had difficulties with conceiving, which is extremely common among women who uh, have an anorexia disorder. They don't have periods, they don't cycle, so therefore they don't conceive. I know that you said you spent a long time actually trying to conceive, and then when you did conceive, uh, you went into labor starting about 24 weeks and uh, delivered, I guess you were uh, labor on and off for like six or seven times, which, by the way, uh, I've dealt with many women like that. So that was, to me, not, like certainly not desirable, but but certainly something that is not all that uncommon. Uh, but uh, you delivered your twins at 33 weeks gestation so That's right. so tell us that means that you were pregnant for 33 weeks i am willing to bet that your body got bigger from the time yes. that you uh, conceived until the time you were 33 weeks how how did you feel how did you feel about this pregnant belly swelling and these bigger breasts getting bigger and your butt getting bigger and just you yep. bigger. What did you, how did you feel about that?
2: So that was honestly very scary for me when we wanted to start a family. How was I going to respond to the changes to my body that happen when you get pregnant and have a baby? Yeah. yeah. And after, you know, over a year of trying conventional means of getting pregnant and it not working, I started fertility treatments and we did several rounds of IUI and Well, first we tried just stimulating ovulation normally, and that didn't work. So then we tried um, IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. Uh Um, All of these involve hormone injections to stimulate ovulation. But these hormone injections (laughs) also cause weight gain. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was having such a hard time because my clothes weren't fitting, but I also wasn't pregnant. And I was blaming myself as to whether or not my past with eating disorders has led to my troubles or whether it's just me or my husband or whatever the condition is and when my favorite dress didn't fit up the morning of a good friend's wedding I was devastated and I was hysterical crying and my husband came over and he was wonderful and he hugged me and he reminded me that he loved me even if my dress doesn't fit (laughs) but everything was terrible because I was officially fat my dress didn't fit and I wasn't pregnant yet, so life sucked. Yes. And, At least if you're pregnant, you have an excuse to be fat. Exactly. Yes. So I was also afraid because how was I going to handle a pregnant belly if I was having so much trouble with just the small changes that occurred with the hormones? Right. And then I got pregnant, and the IVF worked. And when you feel a pregnant belly versus a non-pregnant belly, it's different. It feels harder. Yeah. Yeah. And when I first got pregnant and I, I told my parents because they knew about our struggle. So they found out pretty early. Um, I was a little bit unsure as to the changes happening in my body. And my mom was wonderful. She took my hand and she pressed it against my own belly. And then she pressed it against hers. Oh, and you felt that difference. Difference. And yeah, that yeah. showed me this was truly baby huh. and not fat. Uh-huh. And then... I was warned because I was carrying twins, I had two placentas. I was highly likely to get gestational diabetes even if I ate perfectly the whole pregnancy. Yep. So I worked with a nutritionist to help me know I had to eat a lot more. I had to eat a lot eat a lot more often and I had to eat a lot more fat than I was used to eating based on my typical meal plan. Uh-huh. But one thing that really helped me in the hospital and I continued it then was to consider food a medicine. And if my doctor or nutritionist writes me a prescription to eat cream cheese on my bagel or to eat full-fat ice cream instead of fat-free frozen yogurt, if that's my prescription, that's what I'm going to do. You had to make it legit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I had my nutritionist write out my meal plan for me, just like I had done in the hospital. And I hadn't needed that in years, but because I was making such drastic changes to what I needed to eat, I needed it. I needed that support. But I thought it out and I got it. And I was able to maintain my blood sugars and everything was fine with that. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I had to reach out for help when I was struggling to, to eat the diabetic diet. Well, it sounds like though you had
1: had some schooling, if you will, in how to reach out and get help. Yes. So therefore, you were taking it to sort of a different level and in a different context. But I think in our heads, we don't always act this way, but in our heads, I think we all know that we need support to be on a diet, to write a book, to, you know, whatever, go to college. And yet, very often, we sort of think that we need to like wing this on our own. And quite honestly, most of us
2: are not able to do that. So, Jackie, well, one, go ahead. one thing that's actually really important that I, I want to say is it's not a, not just to reach out to get any help, it's to get the right help. The right help, yeah. And you want to make sure if you go see a nutritionist that it is somebody who does have experience with eating disorders because the things you say to a person trying to lose weight is very different than the things you need to say to somebody with a history of anorexia trying to eat properly. Give us some and examples. I've, I've had nutritionists tell me things that were actually completely hurtful and the not what I needed to hear because they didn't have the experience. Give me some examples. um, Examples are, you know, well, so you don't want to, you don't want to eat cake because cake is bad for you. I take that in, you don't want to eat cake ever. Whereas it's really, you don't want to have five pieces of cake every day. And so, or, um, Things like counting calories are, not, are helpful for somebody in Weight Watchers, but they're not helpful for me ah. because it becomes an obsession. Got it. So things that are helpful for a person in Weight Watchers or something like that is the opposite of the way I need to think about things. So you really need to find somebody with the expertise in your situation, whatever that may be.
1: Jackie, correct me if I'm wrong, but in my small understanding, and, and I, I am not a psych nurse. Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> um, but in my small understanding, it seems to me that it's not useful to make the argument or the counseling or whatever about the food because it's really not about the food. Am I right?
2: In the beginning, when I was sick, yes. No, in the eating disorder, it's it's about control. Yeah, okay. and but. When I was pregnant at this case, I just needed to know what I needed to eat because I wasn't, I was still kind of following the meal plan from the hospital and I didn't know how to deviate from that in a healthy oh, way. Oh, yeah. So I just needed, at that point, I needed instructions. So at that point, it really was about the food because I knew my nutrition needs were changing because I was pregnant, but I didn't know how to do that. Yeah, I didn't have that innate understanding of how to do that. So I just needed somebody to tell me what to do.
1: Yeah, I guess, too, I know that any time that I've had to lose weight, fortunately, that's only a few times in my life, but I know I I need to get a structure, and I need to be kind of repetitious so that I know that this is what I get for breakfast, this is what I get for lunch, this is what I get, and I don't want to have to think about it a whole lot. I just, you know, give me some structure, and I'm okay. Um, I think it's interesting, too. Uh, a friend of mine had a daughter who was diagnosed with anorexia, and I remember one time her father telling me something like, she was just battling and battling the anorexia. She just really had such a tough time, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, what's so hard? Just, just like put some food in your mouth and eat. What is there to battle, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and certainly by the time that I got to be a more experienced nurse, had a little, you know, wear on my, on my duty shoes, I was able to understand that in a different context. That is, the person can't just put some food in their mouth and be done with it. It's just not that simple. But wow, you've given us so much to think about. When we come back, Jackie, I'd like you to tell us, please, how all of us can all be helpful in a a supportive way you've kind of touched on it and I want to dive into that a whole lot deeper I personally don't want any idiot comments coming out of my own mouth and uh, I know that there are many people who would like to be helpful and sometimes they're just kind of not so maybe you can give us some real hands-on help with how to be helpful rather than hurtful I'm Marie Biancuto I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed Jackie Novat and I will be right back after this short break
0: Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their New Angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N U A N G E L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Jackie Novak. She's telling us about her trip to and from... Uh, an anorexic condition, which she was finally able to beat. So, Jackie, I want to pick up on what we were talking about before the break. I don't consider myself unkind, but I'm sure that there are things that come out of my mouth unintentionally that are not helpful to people, whether they're my patient or my next door neighbor or my college roommate or whoever. Uh, But help me and help everyone who's listening to understand what are some, well, let's start with the first thing. First of all, what are some not helpful things? Uh, I know, for instance, me just saying to the person, you know, well, just just take it and eat it. What's the big deal? That That's certainly not going to be helpful. But what other kinds of things would you say are, are comments, either before treatment or during treatment, that are condescending or... Um, Undermining—I guess that's the word I'm looking for—to the person.
2: Well, I would say at any point, either before treatment, during, or even after, commenting on "Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that cake," "Oh, I'm so fat," "Oh, I—I I need to watch what I eat." That is not helpful to be around because it reinforces the idea that you know I'm succeeding where this person oh, who I respect is right. not. Gotcha. So, keeping focus away from that is really helpful. Got it. Before treatment, commenting, pushing is is not helpful. Really understanding and providing resources is very helpful. The people had been as I said people had been telling me for months I was getting too thin and I heard that as a compliment. Mm-hmm. It took somebody not focusing on what I looked like, not focusing on what the scale said, but focusing on what I was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also handing me that phone number right there and saying, "Yes, you have a problem. Now that you realize it, here's what to do about it. Because telling me I have a problem and leaving me to fend for myself is not helpful. Yeah. It's very scary. So find the resources, do your homework, and provide the person with contact information or or more information if yeah, you can. Can I pick up on that?
1: I, sure. I, I cannot come and sit in your dorm and say, I know what you feel. I've been there because I haven't been there. Right. So if for somebody like me... What would be helpful to sit down and say, Jackie, I know you've been having a hard time or, you know, what, what words should come out of my mouth?
2: Well, as a medical person, if if, in a medical context, you could certainly say, you know, I, I see what's happening with you and you remind me of a patient I had who was sick and she's told me this is how she felt and this is how she thought. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so how about if it's my next door neighbor, same thing? Same thing. Well, well, yeah, but how about if I'm your next door neighbor, not not a nurse?
2: You you can say something along the lines of, you know, your I, I I care about you. I'm concerned about you, and I want to say that I've heard somebody talk about this, and this is what they said. Ah, okay. And you know, here's the resources they found helpful, and know you're not alone. Yeah. And know I'm here for you. Really. And just realize that they yeah. might not they might not respond right away. Okay. Okay, um, And that's okay. But um, during treatment, one of the best things that is helpful is to make meals not a big deal. Make oh. them just kind of happen. And eat with me. Eat, don't eat lettuce while I'm expected to eat a tuna fish sandwich. Okay, Eat a tuna fish sandwich with me. Eat dessert with me. Uh-huh. And have one cookie with me. Not 20, not zero. Have a normal pers- portion with me. And don't focus on it. Don't don't make it a big deal. It's just how life happens. Because the more integrated and normal and relaxed mealtime can be with the rest of life, Mm. the easier that treatment and transition will be. The more focus there is on food and intake and calories and fat, the more difficult the transition will be. Yeah, you know, uh,
1: Michelle Silverman came and talked to us about uh, toddlers that are fussy eaters. And she said the same thing don't make a big deal of it. Just, you know, here's the food, life moves on. Don't don't make a big whoop about it. So what about if I'm your sister and we're sharing a house together and I'm stocking the refrigerator or the freezer because I'm the one that goes to the grocery store, what mm-hmm. kinds of things would be good to put in the refrigerator and what things would be bad to put in the refrigerator?
2: Well, so that depends on your own meal plan. But what helped me, especially at the beginning, was individual portion sizes of things uh-huh so i actually went to the restaurant store and bought the little butter packets that you get at restaurants oh, yeah Uh huh. at the beginning because that's how i knew i was getting the right amount and not too much i bought the little containers of cream cheese because that's what we used at the hospital right and that's what i needed to make me comfortable knowing that i was getting the right amount i thankfully don't need to do that anymore <laughs> but it helped me at the beginning and we bought the individual pints of chocolate milk or regular milk ah, okay. um, rather than a big gallon because this way I knew I was comfortable that I was getting the right amount.
1: You got the visualization, Jackie. Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking that's interesting because I've uh, read, I've not actually seen this, but uh, mothers who have difficulty breastfeeding their babies because they don't know how much the baby is getting and they're so used to looking for a visual cue. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, which which reminds me, I know that you breastfed your babies for a substantial amount of time. Uh, there's not a woman on the planet that hasn't worried about whether or not she has enough milk. Yeah. But, but did you worry that the babies were cuing, giving off, feeding cues too frequently? Because that's another thing I've seen in the literature.
2: Well, so my babies were preemies, and I brought in my milk with a pump. Okay. And yeah, that's my son... Different. Yeah, my son never never figured out latching, so I ended up exclusively pumping. But when the babies got
1: older, was what
2: I meant. Well, we we never really nursed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I just pumped and bottle fed for the first year.
1: But even so, you would have seen the babies give cues, right? Um,
2: they were, well, they were like me in the beginning, and that because they were premature, we had to feed them every three hours, whether I, they were hungry or not.
1: Absolutely, yes, yes, okay. Um. Well, anyway, um. Yeah, it's, this has been such a really interesting discussion. I think that we've all learned so much. Uh, Jackie, thank you so much for being with me today. We've really had a chance. You've shared so much of your soul, but I'm absolutely confident that we've all begun to have a different understanding of your struggle and, and ways in which we can help each other. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me, and and there is hope. It does get better, and it really does. I like and all I- things, this too will pay.
1: <laughs> yes. uh, well, anyway, I, that's all the time that we have for today, and before we sign off, um, I would like to thank all of you for joining us as well. If you're interested in books or other media that was mentioned on this show or even on previous shows, check out our Amazon store. It's on my website at www. Born to be breastfed.com. Check out our Facebook. Remember to like us while you're there. And if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember I'm your source for evidence based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding.